So from the moment of your conception, birth, into first breath throughout life, last breath, out into eternity. <clears throat> One is becoming an individual signature. Who are you? Who am I? And one can only present references of that individual. This dress, that jacket, this cut of hair, this manner of speaking or standing in a certain position or posture. And another being can describe one. He stands like this. She looks like that. She enjoys this so much. They feel this way, you know. Here's a photograph of them. This is what he said to me that evening. The sunset was so extraordinary displayed across the mountains. <clears throat> and yet, this only implies a direction toward you as an individual or through you expressing as an individual. So really, you're still moving through that middle pathway from heaven upon the earth back to heaven with various affinities and aversions. Oh, I'd love to wear the plum-colored coat because it's so cold outside, it's my warmest coat, you know. Not just the beauty of it, although the beauty is part of that also. And a mother might say, oh, isn't the down jacket warmer <clears throat> with the hood so that your head and neck are warm? And the young woman says, no, mom, I'd rather wear a scarf and a different hat. You see, in the two individuals, the mother and daughter are conversing about the cold, the winter weather, the relationship of child to mother, matriarch training her young one to be safe and well, every breath of life. And each individual is expressing a kind of prism refracting all the light of God through this woman and that girl, this man and that boy, this person and this one. What occurs when we express the individual is it is a living dynamic signature. So when we meet another human being, he or she or they are expressing a living signature in resonance back to us so that heart to heart, soul to soul, we might discover where God dwells as a seed of heaven in each one of us and bow to that, that that might answer each one of us and us together. When it answers us together and we are receptive enough in our aspiration and affinity and we are strong enough in the form of how to be safe upon the earth with the aversions of what can cost life or be dangerous to life. So we are between our desires and our reactions, walking that middle way. So is our friend or our new, our new acquaintance. <clears throat> we meet. And when we are each and both receptive enough and yet stoic enough or strong or resilient or maybe present enough, something occurs in each of us and between us. 
In Eastern faith traditions, this is called a transmission. Something occurs mysteriously, yet alive through us, so that we become a partial Buddha, a partial awake being. The Buddha is named for the Bodhi tree, this beautiful tree with a heart-shaped leaf under which he sat when he attained enlightenment. So the name of what occurred to him, and how he first described himself in the famous stories to a young, young farming boy, <clears throat> are you a demon? No. Are you a god? No. Who are you? I am Tathagata. I am that which is awake. I am that at the gate, that which is awakening. <clears throat> Where did he awaken? Under the Bodhi tree. Oh, he is Buddha. He is of that tree. That one. So the quality of transmission which occurred through the being, the human being, and the tree, and the little boy, that's a collective. It's not just one man. So we have so many concepts that there must be one individual who's so powerful that only his ego, only her personality, only their human character is right, is real, is purposeful. This is a great lack of adequate understanding of life who one is in one's language, philosophies, manner of living, from dressing to dining to work, to rest, to learning, to receiving, to embodying, to socializing, to helping. That quality is living, not static. And it is slightly different in every single human being. Even if one were raised with identical purposes from parents and kin and neighborhoods, even two identical twins would have a nuance of one loving the violin and the other turning toward the flute. One is not wrong and the other right. Rather, they are two individuals seeking the music of God, the music of the spheres, moving between them so that if the maturity is adequate in each individual, it sings through them each enough that in their humility or receptivity and their alignment or a posture of mature responsibility they are able to be an adequate vessel or tool of the grace of heaven. And they move through that middle pathway. Oh, here you are, and I am. Your signature and mine. Something has happened between us of heaven. And we bow to that which has occurred in the other. Oh, that's happened in you and in me. It's like a veritable song of God. When this seed is born, we have a collective. What are we to do to be representatives together 
is a signature of heaven. A couple, a family, a parent and child, an elder and youth, a mentor and protege, neighbors, kin. This could be intimate, two people, five people. This can become larger, 100 people, thousands of people. I gave a talk a number of years ago at the invitation of the mayor of Glastonbury, England. <clears throat> it was done in the beautiful um, classroom or uh, sort of corridors upstairs in the, in the beautiful buildings of the, of the small town or city. And I talked about the spiritual history of the entire region. It was a very, very precious night. And the next year, <clears throat> this tiny festival which had gone on just became huge the, the very next year. And a person asked me, what happened? And I said, you know, there's something that occurred in the collective transmissions of people there. I guess this amazing festival has occurred for a year. Maybe we'll continue. It continued and continued and continued and continued. <clears throat> Glastonbury has been a seat of the pantheistic heritage of the great spiritual collectives of the people of England for several thousand years. See, my, my heart becomes very still in contentment. The springs running across from Wales to one tiny lane at the base of Glastonbury Tor or Hill. A spring running across from the east coast of England so that the two springs end less than 20 feet from one another. It's just a remarkable place. A friend who's a scientist might say, oh, that's you don't really believe these things. And I go, well, I do experience the springs. Would you like to take a sip of water from one and then walk several steps and turn in another direction to the east or west and take a sip from the other spring? That we might in our hearts be such a living peace upon this earth that all the wellsprings of God everywhere are safe in the signatures of all of our collectives. That's what Glastonbury would be to me. So my meeting that evening with the mayor, the, the beautiful talk, the great inspiration will never leave me. How could it? And Blaine came in yesterday for us to commence our work and opened his small laptop computer and asked if he could show me something. And he brought up a video on the YouTube channels of a performance from Glastonbury the summer of 2022 that was just from the same place of which we're speaking. What is that place? That would be the mystery of heaven present in the collectives of all of us when we are supple in the resonance of divine love, grace manifest. How shall I love you in God? Oh, you, such an amazing songwriter. And you, such a mature musician. 
And you, young person in the audience, responding to the music. May you all be protected, guided, safe and well in all ways, everywhere, always. <clears throat> then the humility in one rises up, or the receptivity in one, and the strength or stoic alignment or posture of virtue rises up in one, so that we are resilient enough in our declared goodness or virtuous position beyond causing harm to any being to the best of our ability so that we can receive that grace and then beside another human being practice embodying that grace. That is the next moment of conception and birth through your breath and mine throughout all of your cells and mine. So if you might contemplate in your heart the various collectives that are part of the meaning of your life, groups that were part of the formation of your infancy and childhood, young years, mature years. Are there collectives which were supported which were insisted upon as important in your family or your culture or your region or national heritage, religion, linguistic group, racial group? <clears throat> Are you able to integrate them adequately in your heart, soul, and life that you are at peace with who you are upon this earth, undisturbed by the arguments of another human being so that when you answer them back, you are humble and receptive enough to show, well, I'm here as an individual, showing you the signature of my individual self to the best of my ability. And I'm also showing you as if I were a prism of God, the light of heaven refracting through me as I meet you and you and you and you and you. I'll use a concept from the arguments present in our culture right now. There's an enormous argument on the earth about using particular words. And if one uses the wrong word, one is considered to be insulting every group of human beings upon the earth, including oneself as being regarded as ignorant. So I can take a racial concept and I'll take a concept of levels of markers of the cellular uh, testing done to measure our mental capacities. I could come into the town where I was born and if I saw one friend of my father's, my mother might say, oh, that's the old Czech farmer. He's so lovely. His own cousins might think, he's not Czech, <clears throat> he's Bohemian. Another person might think, a Bohemian, what does that mean, a gypsy? I could say, well, he's actually not from the gypsy people. His genetic history is somewhat different, but he lives in an area in which many people who came across from India through Egypt into Eastern Europe reside. 
Who is the man of whom my mother is speaking? Well, one of her father's friends. They're no longer alive, my grandfather or this other man. But they come from a similar heritage, villages perhaps three hours apart from one another, both of their fathers. But there was an affection about the old Czech. Or in his own family, he liked the concept that he was from the people of Bohemia. But his children, if they had said they were Bohemian, would have been looked down upon in their generation. And then another person might say, are they gypsy? How romantic. Oh, I don't want gypsies in my neighborhood. Don't you know they're thieves? See, who, who are we speaking of when we throw up these opaque causations, mental projections, which become mental aggregates like um, concepts together. We will, we will bring together like a thousand concepts so we have no idea who the farmer is. And we live in a culture where the more sophisticated your mental education is, the more we polish the complex aggregates. I know who you are. I, I could tell you in 15 languages who you are. And I know how to judge you. And then, by the way, you're wearing the wrong shoes. Those are so last year. Those are so déclassé, they're just really not sophisticated enough for the mental aggregate I really now hold of you. And the sorrow for a mystic is you've completely missed the whole point of everything. All of it has become debris, karmic debris, signifying nothing. And then you take the next breath. Who is this man we're speaking of? A man from Central Europe whose father came over during a period of warfare. And my grandfather's father came over at the same time. My grandfather's father died when my grandfather was 12. So this other gentleman became a godfather for him of Virtuous mentoring. Hear Francis Leon Wenderlich like this. Yes, button up your shirt. This kind of shirt collar would be the best for your wedding. So proud of you. Your father would be so proud to see you on this day. See, so we weren't understanding that there was intimacy. That I'm here today product of that wedding so long ago. And my grandfather's father was from the aristocracy of the Prague area, from Karlovy Vary. During the period of war, the family had to leave. So this aristocratic mood of philosophical thinking playing the violin, gorgeous love for music and flowers, sings through that part of my family heritage. And then in humility, he had to come and his father died when he was 12. Frank, you'll have to leave school now and go to work and support your mother and all of your siblings. So my grandfather left school and picked up a great big 
uh, hook and he would hook big boxes with the ropes tied around them and swing them up onto a, a horse-drawn cart and then swing them down into the dock of the loading area or the business or the home. And this one fine man, the Czech farmer, had a remembrance of his father. Your father would have wanted you to wear a shirt like this. Here you could wear mine on your wedding day. Since there isn't the income to afford a new shirt like your father, who left the nobility of work in the Senate, or what we'd call now the Senate, in Prague, left that and came in an order to feed your mother and you and your siblings, became a tailor with those fine senatorial fingers. And now here you are with your rough hands and your strong biceps and your big hook and the beloved horse that you don't own but work with every day. Ah, you're getting married today, so Betsy can talk about you a hundred years later. We all know in our hearts the place where this meets God. But it's only when we are vulnerable enough, vulnerable, open to being touched. I'm, I'm being touched by God through my grandfather and the farmer who helped him and helped his mother and siblings and helped his late father in the heavens and is helping us today will always help us. It's eternal, yet in the present moment. So we are vulnerable enough to allow the affinity of all the individual aspects of my grandfather's and yours, and theirs, and theirs, and theirs, and theirs. What we can grasp and understand and what we cannot. And we are open enough to practice humbly, nobly embodying the virtue we're capable of, so that whether we walk through as aristocracy, as tailor, as farmer, as groom of a wedding, as grandchild, we walk so that that mystery of heaven can move through us as individuals, my grandfather to his late father, my grandfather to his mentor, the Czech farmer. Oh, a Czech man, what does that mean? I go, well, let's see. Let's open up to receive the translation point. So holiness of heaven might move through you and me to find what is happening in this moment, breath to breath upon this earth, for which we are responsible and to which we are responsible so that we are responding to the divine in you, in me, in our ancestors and here. Let me include one other point which I referenced earlier. This goes into the racial arguments that are current. So if we turn to my grandfather he had dark, glossy hair, wavy, dark eyes, olive skin. So 
if I look at my mother's generation, his daughter, she was the youngest of his nine children. The first two died uh, in late early childhood and then in infancy, and the other seven lived. <clears throat> As a child would be coming, the question would be asked, I wonder what color their eyes will be. I wonder what color their skin will be. Will their hair be like Cora's or Frank's? And so we would have the color of my mother's hair, which was pure black, very dark, beautiful, light olive skin, almond-shaped eyes, the color of hazelnuts, just beautiful. My Uncle Bob, her brother, eyes like a, a blue sky, rosy and creamy skin, soft, light brown hair. Two individuals coming from the same parents. Years later, when <clears throat> we were in the New York City area, my mother saved, uh, I've told this story a few times in different ways, she saved to go to see Kenneth, who was uh, kind of the most renowned hairdresser in the world at that time. He used to cut Mrs. Kennedy Onassis's hair and hair of other well-known people in New York. He was a very shy and private man. He would wear a suit and he cut in a room by himself. His salon had uh, several other people, but you'd go back into this beautiful gray room and Kenneth have a lovely place for someone to sit. And then he had an area where he would cut someone's hair. So he would cut my mother's hair. And he said to her, he, he liked to cut in silence. <clears throat> and then he said, I have to tell you, it's only the second or third time in my life that I've dealt with someone whose hair is actually black. He, he loved her hair. She was so surprised. He said, Almost everyone's hair is brown. It might be a very, very, very dark brown. But yours is black. And I love your hair. He was so touched by it. He would cut it so beautifully. He loved her face, her aquiline nose, her high Madhya Bohemian cheekbones. See? When she spoke of him, her voice changed. They were intimate in the gestures of his touching her hair, holding his scissors and his comb, the nature of his conversation with someone out in the outer foyer, quieting the staff out in the outer rooms, coming back in, nodding to her. I remember when my older brother went to have, <coughs> uh, was going to have his wedding and my mother went to have her hair cut before. Kenneth just took particular care of the beauty of her and the, the caretaking of her noble posture, her humble goodness. It's beyond words the way in which Kenneth and my mother loved one another. It's not romantic. Yet it has the sentiment of every dimension of love nobly possible between two people beyond all warfare. Who are we? We are all of us seeds of this same collective purpose as we pray 
and practice to embody this. And what collectives are you from? And you, and you, and we go out from there. My mother found a lemon chiffon dress <clears throat> with pleats and handmade lace. She went to look for the dress to wear as mother of the groom, which is in the United States a very specific a way that a mother dresses and presents herself in a certain way on the wedding day, always beside the presentation of the bride, but very much a st statement of the signature of the mother of the groom or the mother of the bride. Mother of the bride is usually considered the important or significant matriarch beside this. And so my mother was looking at a very beautiful store called Bergdorf Goodman's in New York City, and <clears throat> she went up into an area and was looking at moderately priced dresses. She found one she liked, and the saleswoman said to her, just a minute, I'll be right back. And the woman left the room and came back in, and she said, we have a custom-made dress here that has totally been sewn by hand. It was made for a woman who simply decided she didn't want the color. And so we have it here. My mother tried it on. It was as if it was made for her. You know, maybe it was made for her. It was just exquisite. The way it lay upon her throat and neck against her collarbone and shoulders. The lace at the cuffs, the length. Nothing had to be altered. It fit her perfectly. It was very reasonably priced. They were overjoyed. Ah, for her son's wedding, well. The collectives, Kenneth and my mother and her lovely hair, her exquisite face, her noble life, adorned in a beautiful dress, constructed and sewn by women and perhaps men at Bergdorf's, whose names we'll never know, sitting right outside a beautiful fountain at the southeast end of Central Park in New York City, where many years later my older stepdaughter finished the New York City Marathon and met her father and myself. Throughout time, in all eternity, each of us as individuals is always vulnerable to the way in which only God, through every moment, is attempting to reach us through your breath and mine, through your heart and mine, adequately receptive vulnerably to being touched only by grace, through you and me and through everyone, adequately formed by virtue, that we scold back the violence when others are frightened of God. I, I can't open up and really be of heaven. Of course you can. Of course I can. Of course we can. This is who we are. And then the collectives of our religions, our languages, our philosophies meet. And the color of your skin and eyes and of my mother's, and of her father's, and my Uncle Bob's. Mm. What a holy family upon this earth, each individual 
in the myriad of moods we show as prisms of God, these collectives that shape me, and yours, and yours, and yours. May we pray and practice as this era enters such a time of climate, the trees, the animals, the elements calling for our help, that we are with them so that we form an adequate civilization to find the sustaining nature of the purpose of heaven for which we've been created in what comes next. <laughs>